and welcome to the latest in our series of podcasts we call Centre Stage. My name is Sandra Davis. I'm a director and part of the coaching team at Bladenmore. At Centre Stage, we try and create podcasts which touch on issues which our clients have to think about on a regular basis, whether it's investor relations or employee communications and engagement, or as we're doing today, a focus on ESG and how that has dramatically changed, both in terms of the regulatory environment and importance to all stakeholders over the last few years. To do that, I've been joined by a specialist in this area, Caroline Morris. Uh, She's been working on ESG for over 20 years. She tells me she started when she was very, very young. But 20 of those years were with Goldman Sachs, where the focus was very much on, on the G for much of that time, on compliance and government's issues. Um, And of course, as we all know, in the last couple of years, that agenda has moved forward. um, And now sustainability and environmental issues um, have become absolutely at the forefront of people's minds, both from an investor point of view, a company point of view, an employee point of view, and, and the communities in which they operate and serve. She recently set up a consultancy called Penmount specifically to help companies navigate this changing world and this changing set of of requirements and values. And we're going to talk about what that means and about how those people responsible for communicating those changes, um, what they need to think about and uh, engage with, particularly for, for their audiences, to make sure that the good actions that are taking place are clearly understood and known about and shared. Hello, Caroline. Afternoon. Let's start with what's happened over the last couple of weeks. We've had the G7 summit. Uh, ESG has been on everybody else's agenda. Was it on theirs? It most certainly was. At the end of the summit, they released a four-page communique. Climate change was mentioned 22 times and biodiversity was mentioned five times. Neither of these subjects were mentioned at all last year. So that clearly is very significant that there has been a focus change um, by the participants. And it's the first time at a G7 meeting at which all participants have committed to achieving net zero emissions by 2050. So we see our clients talking about commitments to net zero all the time. It's interesting that it's actually reaching the political agenda. And of course, as we all know, um, we had Trump rejecting the Paris Agreement and sort of opting out of climate change and Biden doing the polar opposite and sticking it at the top of the agenda. Indeed, he did. He said, in fact, it's the number one issue facing humanity and it's the number one issue for him. So clearly we've seen a volt fast um, in the attitude of the US. So if it's the number one issue for the leader of the free world, um, we'll still give him that title, uh, then it's got to be at least up there in the top issues for, for companies today. It is, for sure. And also what was quite interesting is it's which comes first, the chicken or the egg. The Paris Agreement um, wants to achieve net zero by 2050, and that's a political agenda. So you've got the companies needing to comply with that agenda. So I think actually it's the politics driving the companies as opposed to the other way around, because I'm not so sure whether the companies would have said this is what they want to achieve if there wasn't the political agenda that was driving this. 
I think they would have focused on the ESG, but whether this specific item of reducing net emissions by that time would be the number one. So when people started talking about ESG all those years ago, the truth was it really was a focus on the G, the governance. Companies needed to comply with regulations, be seen to be behaving well. Their communications probably were targeted or focused on investors and and customers as primary audiences with less engagement with other stakeholder groups. That now is beginning, well, over the last couple of years is dramatic, not beginning, that now is changing dramatically. And companies have to behave and think very differently. I think that there's a number of points there. I think if we look back at a company's purposes in the 1970s, for example, companies were thinking about the generation of wealth for their shareholders. If we ask the same question today, what is a company's purpose? We'd say that the purpose of a business is to collaborate with all stakeholders to create shared and sustained value. And that was a statement that was made in Davos in 2020. So there's a much more holistic approach needed. Shareholders are an important stakeholder group, but they are not the only stakeholder group. We're talking about consumers, we're talking about employees, we're talking about the community in which the company operates. And I think you were talking about um, reputational risk really beforehand. Um, Reputational risk um, being seen to be doing the right thing and compliance and governance and regulation still there, absolutely. But now you're talking about risk from climate risk, you're talking about environmental risk, you're talking about social risk. So the the risk registrar's firm is changing, um, or certainly shifting, um, to add these additional risks which perhaps had not been given as much credence in the past as they are now. So how are stakeholders, the wider stakeholder group, able to understand what risks those companies are addressing or what risks companies are facing that they may not have thought about? I think this is where the compliance and the governance piece kicks in. There are a number of frameworks uh, being put together. For example, the TCFD, the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure, which has been adopted by the FCA and incorporated into its listing rules. So large listed companies have to comply with this narrative disclosure in order to assist investors in improving their decision making. This framework has four pillars. It focuses on governance, strategy, risk management, and metrics and targets. And companies are required to make a narrative disclosure answering 11 or so questions, providing description on 11 or so areas. And I think that disclosure is really important because investors do need to make decisions on ESG type matters. And so frameworks are being put together. You've seen it in Europe, for example, they have introduced a taxonomy and I've got to mention another acronym, SFDR, the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulations. And they have a taxonomy which requires companies, again, to provide metrics and disclosure type of information to assist 
investor decision making. Yeah, you're right. There are quite a few acronyms going on in there. Oh, I can give you loads. I've watched in compliance for years. You. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so compliance aligns with acronym, an acronym-filled world. Um, but actually, does that make this a problem when companies are trying to explain what they're doing to their different stakeholder groups, that it is very complicated and there are lots of frameworks? How are pressure groups or how are even the communities that operate around them or their employees expected to understand what is going on? I'm not going to say it's easy because it's not and not helped by the fact there are a number of rating agencies and the rating agencies don't provide a consistent picture because they have uh, different criteria upon which they rate the companies. But this is emergent. There will be convergence. At the moment, there are a plethora of regimes, but they will converge. I'm, I'm convinced of it. And an example is that only last week, the International Integrated Reporting Council, the IIRC. Another acronym. And I've got another one for you. (laughs) The SASB or SASB, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. Those two bodies officially announced their merger to form the Value Reporting Foundation. So they recognised that they were doing similar work, slightly different in terms of their stakeholders, but similar enough to actually think, you know what, let's merge. It will be better for the community, for our investors the public. So we're seeing a little bit more convergence. Hopefully we will it will become clearer and easier to explain. But isn't the ongoing nature of the changes that companies are having to do really important here? So what I mean by that is everyone's making targets, um, which is great and wonderful. We're beginning to hear about companies explaining their routes to achieve those targets. But we're talking about targets that are 2030, 2050. They're quite a long way away. How do you take, how important is it that you keep your stakeholder groups on that journey with you and not just day one say, this is the target we're going to get to and take a step back and and you carry on doing it, but not keep the engagement going. If you make a statement that you're going to reach a particular target, that target needs to be measurable. There need to be KPIs, sorry, key performance indicators. Oh, another acronym. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to demonstrate that that um, target will be met by the time that the company has announced that it will be met. By making these statements, or maybe absent these statements, the investor base could very well become unhappy and vote to remove directors or make certain resolutions. For example, Exxon were the um, victim of investor dissatisfaction recently where three directors were removed because the investors were not comfortable with their ESG credentials. So. It is important that there is a communication and action taken because, as I say, investors will act, consumers will act because if they see their, your competitors taking action in this space and you are not, then consumers will obviously move their purchasing power to somebody else. Um, climate activists, if they don't see action being taken to protect the planet, 
um, look after employees who are perhaps in your supply chain um, and treated unfairly um, because of labor market concerns, um, perhaps in the textile industry, for example, and they will demonstrate against your company. All of this is very negative publicity, bad for your reputation, and will have consequences to your bottom line. So making statements about a target is one thing to do, but I think that there are many other actions that can be taken to satisfy these groups that I've just mentioned. In the near term, whilst the company moves towards achieving that long-term target. So keeping your all your stakeholders on the journey with you becomes very important. It, it does. And there are different ways in which you can disclose what you're doing. You've got your director's report, you've got your websites, you've got prospectuses, other documentation brochures, your AGM. There, there, there are lots of ways in which you can make your ESG story public and we've been, we've been talking about ESG generally is the worry or is part of the concern that some of these targets get met and and there is not enough consequence for not achieving them so if we think back to the discussion around diversity for example that's gone on for a very long time in senior positions we, we have gender pay gap requirements for publication um, there is a target for a third of boardrooms to uh, have female representation for, for the biggest companies. Um, there, there's lots of targets, but is there really the, the stick that goes with the carrot? Is there indeed a carrot for achieving those targets across the whole of ESG? Or is it now, is the focus now so much so on carbon emissions that other parts of that ESG spectrum might be, be given less priority. ESG is an enormous topic. Companies will need to prioritise which are their biggest concerns and their biggest focus, and they will have to prioritise in the short term. But you mentioned statistics on female representation at board level, and they do vary very much depending on the nature of the company. For example, in the FTSE 100, that target was reached in February 2020. In the FTSE 250, companies reached 33% women representation on in December 2020. However, data, this is from women on boards, showed that in the 261 FTSE all-share firms below the FTSE 350, under 33% met that target, and more than 50% have an all-male executive leadership team. 15% have ethnic diversity on their boards and 37% have one or no female board members. So that just shows that there is a very big difference in achieving this particular uh, statistic um, amongst companies. But I think that if you looked at the statistics, say, 10 years ago, they'd be worse than they are now. And I, I, I think this is a journey. So if we accept that it's a journey and there is an awful lot to be done and a lot for business leaders to have to think about in terms of how they run their business across the whole of the ESG agenda, 
On the other side of that, you've also got a far more sophisticated and, and complicated stakeholder community that is much more integrated than it ever it was. Before, we, we, we used to divide up different target audiences. You can't do that anymore. Social media has merged communications across all groups and, and fantastically reduced timescale for communications. Is there enough that's being done to encourage companies to take action and share best practice or communicate that best practice so that others can learn to speed up the process of instigating these new good practices? I think that I could mention Larry Fink's CEO letter. Larry Fink who's the chairman of BlackRock, has issued a letter to CEOs over the last few years. And more recently, his concerns have been in relation to ESG. And he's made it very clear that companies that do not do sufficient in BlackRock's views on the ESG front will have voter action taken against them. So that's a very clear way in which investors can make their views known as to what they expect companies to do going forward. And in fact, you might very well see investors staying in companies which are, say, fossil fuel oriented. And you'd think, well, why aren't they disinvesting? And the reason for retaining an interest is in order to influence the board through investor action. So that's very interesting, isn't it? Because it's almost like investors are all becoming activists in a way that they perhaps wouldn't have been but I think there has been investor action in the past, particularly, for example, about executive pay. So you've seen investors take action if they were uncomfortable in that field. And so this is an extension. And you could say executive pay is part of the S of ESG. And now there's focus on the E. And we're talking about climate related issues. We're talking biodiversity type of issues, fossil fuels, um, and I think that company, companies who may in the past have wanted to pay lip service to this area, to this area are realising that that is not good enough. They're actually going to have to genuinely have a strategy in the short, medium and long term to address these issues. Because if they don't, investors or other stakeholders will make them do that. So we've got a lot of pressure from, from investors becoming a pressure group pressure groups themselves, communities, and employees. Em- employees are, are keen to see that their um, companies are, are good citizens of the world as well as, as part of being a good employer. I did a very mini poll and I talked to a few people who were in their late teens, early 20s, 30s and older. And it was very interesting to me, although perhaps not surprising, that the teens and 20s all when asked the question would you work for a company that had poor or no ESG credentials and they said absolutely not and I guess that's not surprising the older generation of which I count myself (laughs) when I started working I didn't know what ESG was I never would have thought of asking about this type of thing it just it was just not on the radar whereas for people who are younger, it is really a very important yep. discussion for them um, 
and, and, and a determinant of the company that they would work for. And as we all know, that for a lot of large companies, the war on talent is incredibly important and, and attracting the brightest and the best is really difficult. So it, part of that is their corporate reputation. And as you said right at the beginning of this, not following an ESG agenda, not following a, a carbon reduction agenda, is, it leads to massive reputational risk. Um, it, you ca- it's not something that can be opted out of. Not anymore. So what's going to be the next big thing, do you think, that we're going to see? Is there a, What is going to be the next driver in this debate? As we, we look towards November and, and Glasgow. There's been a lot of focus on climate change. And I think there's going to be an increasing focus on nature change, as the TNFD, the Task Force for Nature, related. <laughs> yes, for natural <laughs> disclosures. So I think you're going to see an extension of non-financial related uh, disclosure requirements. You're going to see an increasing amount of regulation in this field from the States, Europe and the UK, hopefully converging, and I think it will do because particularly in the financial services field, products and services are global and it would be very difficult to have very different standards in this space. So I think that we'll be seeing, or I hope we'll be seeing, uh, convergence in this space. There will be more disclosure, I anticipate, which hopefully will yield better decision making. And in terms of the makeup of businesses, are we likely to see far more sustainability directors or ESG directors on board as a board member, as a specific role? I think so. I think you'll see either sustainability committees reporting to the board. I think you'll see a head of sustainability as a as a function uh, within the executive suite. Whether the that then becomes a board role, I'm not sure. But I, I, I can see a head of sustainability being appointed as a senior. More of an exco role. Yes. Okay. And that will be, and I can see a lot of education because... The board needs educated on this. The senior executives need to be educated in this field. And I think that even, you know, throughout the organisation, I think that there is an ESG training and education that could be required throughout. That is is interesting because it's changed so much in, in the last couple of years. There is this, there's an assumption that everybody understands it and, and understands what businesses are trying to do and what they need to do. Um, and actually, we're assuming people have picked it up. Um, and has there been enough done, as you say, to educate people? Well, I, I think employees want to know. I mean, we're talking about the larger companies here. Employees want to know, I think, what their company is doing on the ESG space. So tell them. Yeah. Yeah, they they need to know and understand and be able to talk about it themselves. Yes, because I I think, um, you know, different employees or friendship groups will get together, talk about the company, and and you want them to be able to discuss your company in a very favourable light. And for an employee at whatever level to be able to say that the company's doing this, this, this in this space is a very good thing. Bear in mind, their friends are also consumers, if they know more about your company, maybe they'd be buying your product. 
as opposed to a competitor. Yes, I, I think that keeping employees engaged in what is going on and, and the change, particularly with the accelerated pace of change that is now coming um, over carbon, particularly in the move to reducing emissions, um, I, I, is very, very important. What's interesting is is that, as we said at the beginning, when ESG came onto the agenda, really the focus, if we're honest, was on, on the G, um, certainly in our careers and our experience of, of working with companies. Then we moved sustainability, and, and that really was talking about the long-term sustainability of the of businesses and their ability to be profitable. So when you and I started out, you know, the ESG, we were all really focused on on governance more than anything. The social side has been very much in debate for a while and probably, if we're honest, has not made the progress it should have had, but is, I think, the extra focus on the environmental side has fueled the, the drive to improve on the social side as well. Given the amount of change and debate we've had in the last two to three years, and the pandemic has, has accelerated it even further, bad or, or poor performing companies or poor performing directors are just not tolerated anymore. But does that mean there's going to be something else that's going to accelerate this even further, even make things even more heightened? I don't have a crystal ball, but um, the Black Lives Matter, COVID, as you mentioned, Me Too movements, all of these have accelerated the pace of change and made people focus much more on the ESG type of credentials of a company. So I wouldn't like to say what was the next thing that was going to come down the line, but I think there, with the power of social media, there's a lot more cohesion globally of people who are like-minded, who if they have an issue that is of sufficient concern to them, it is much easier to garner a critical mass and for that critical mass to then make their voices heard and known to the companies against whom, or indeed the people against whom they have the issue. Well, we may not have a crystal ball, but I think what we can fairly certainly say is that we, so we look to November and COP26, there is more to come. Mm-hmm.